Well, I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 8. And if you're just getting used to your Bible, um, that's okay. About 50 or 60 pages from the back is where Hebrews is found. And uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, we say this every week, we'd love for you to take one out. There should be a black one near the seat rack in front of you or near you. And if you pull that out, you can turn to page 841. And if you don't own a Bible and you'd like to take that home, please take it home with you. We'll replace it. We'd love for you to have your own copy. Now, we're in this series called The Supremacy of Jesus, a study in Hebrews. And uh, again, we just celebrated Easter last week. And I want to just ask you, you know, as we think about one of the reasons we gather every Sunday is to learn how to live the Christian life. And um, I want to just ask you about that. When you think about the Christian life, is it a have-to for you in your most honest moments? Or is it a get-to, a want-to? I've met a lot of people in churches over the years that if they were going to be really honest, they just say, you know, it's, it's a have-to for me. It's a push. It feels like a guilt kind of thing. It's not a want-to or a get-to. And I want to talk to you today because I think this passage we're going to look at in Hebrews 8 will really speak to that. And uh, if I was to be honest, and I think about my own background and past, there, there many years God seemed distant, far, outside, and not, not the motivation just was not there. So let me uh, talk to you about the sentence we've been saying every week if you're following along in the notes. If Jesus is supreme... By supreme, we mean if he has the highest place, if he's the most important, if Jesus is supreme, if Jesus is Lord, then it follows that he deserves our whole life. Not a slice, not a compartment, not a part of it. He deserves, if he's the Lord, he deserves our whole life. But again, if you're starting out thinking about the Christian life as a push, as a have to, that's a highly unappealing sentence right there. That's a highly unappealing thing is to give our whole life to the Lord, because after all, I mean, you know, it just is a guilt thing. But this morning, what I hope you'll see, Steve talked about this last week on Easter Sunday, about Jesus' sacrifice for us, how he gave himself on our behalf there on the cross. If you're following along, his sacrifice, this is what we're going to learn today, his sacrifice offers a new covenant with better promises. Jesus' sacrifice offers a new covenant. That's a very relational word right there, with better promises. So here's what I want to do today. I want to talk to you about this new covenant. Eight times in Hebrews 8, you'll find the word covenant. So we need to learn what that means. It's a word that's gotten lost quite a bit in our culture. I want to talk to you about a new covenant and then I want to talk to you in verse 6. It says that Jesus has a ministry that is incredible. I want to talk to you about Jesus' ministry. And then I want to talk to you about what would it look like in your life. What do we do with a message like this? So uh, if it's okay, would it be all right if we just stopped and prayed for a minute? And I want to tell you this week, as a result of studying this, during dinner one night, I turned to Trish and I just said, I just want to thank the Lord. I, I don't think I've thought about this much before. I just want to thank the Lord that we get to live in the new covenant. 
And my prayer is, is that by the end of this service, you'll find yourself being so thankful that we get to live at a time when the new covenant is available and offered to us. So let's pray. Now, Lord, I think all of us would prefer here if you were our teacher instead of just a human being. There's something that happens when you speak to us. And I don't know how you do it or how you will do it, but I pray that you might come to every seat, that you might speak to every person, and that you might use your word to change our lives day by day, month by month, year by year. So thank you for the new covenant that you offer us in Jesus. Please now help us understand it and help us live in it. In your name we pray, amen. All right, so if you're looking at uh, Hebrews chapter 8, let me just read verse 1 and 2. I want to make a couple comments before we jump down to verse 6. Here we go. Now, the main point of what we are saying in this letter, the writer says, is that we do have such a high priest. It's been talking about how all of us, if we're going to draw near to God, we need a go-between. We need an intercessor. We need a priest who would you know, intercede on our behalf, mediate. And so what he's saying is, I've been talking to you about him in all the ways that he's an incredible intercessor and mediator. So we have such a high priest. This is the good news. And then it says this, who sat down at the right hand of the throne of the majesty of heaven. That means he sat down. People say, what is Jesus doing right now? He is sitting at the right hand of God the Father, the most important seat in all the universe. That's where Jesus is doing. He sat down. And then it says this next sentence, which is surprising. And who serves in the sanctuary, the true tabernacle in heaven set up by the Lord, not by a mere human being. Did you catch those two phrases? Sat down, serves. Sat down, serves. This is, this is interesting to me. After Jesus accomplished all that he did on the cross and all that he did by his resurrection, God highly exalted him to the right hand of God the Father. That's where he sits. Now, if you were in that important place, think of all the important people you've ever known. Was their knee-jerk reaction to serve or be served? Most of us would have to be honest and say, we look forward to position and power in order to be served in some ways, if we're honest. But Jesus, what does it say about him when he asks us to give our whole lives to him that he would be this kind, this kind of mediator? Just phenomenal to me. And here's, what I want you to, here's why I want you to see this. Later in the message, we're going to talk about how Jesus has a ministry. The word for ministry is the same word for serve. So a minister is supposed to be a servant. That's why every person that becomes a believer in Christ, we're ministers. Some are pastors, but all believers are ministers. We have a ministry to serve. And so Jesus leads the way by being that kind of minister. So now, the other thing is, I won't read verses 3 through 5, but what it talks about is this. Everything that happened in the Old Testament is a shadow, is a copy of what God had planned in the New Testament, in the New Covenant. Therefore, if you go after the shadow or the copy, you're going to be disappointed because it's not the ultimate deal. I have up here a picture of my wife, Patricia. I like her a lot. <laughs> and I keep this in my office. And I look at it often. And now imagine, Trisha's sitting here in this service, but I've said this in the last couple, imagine that I just held onto this picture, and yet she comes and wants to spend time with me, and I say, no, 
I just want to be with a picture. <laughs> you guys laugh because you know that that's just foolishness. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is this. Don't settle for the shadow. Don't settle for the copy. Go for the real thing. And the real thing is found in Jesus. And so I want to talk about this new covenant. So let's start in verse 6. I'll read, and I will talk about what God's new covenant is and Jesus' superior ministry. So verse 6. But in fact, the ministry Jesus has received is as superior to theirs, he's talking about the Old Testament priest, as the covenant of which he is the mediator is superior to the old one, since the new covenant is established on better promises. We're going to talk about what those better promises are. For if there had been nothing wrong with that first covenant, no place would have been sought for another, but God found fault with the people and said, now this next part in your Bible should be set apart. And the reason is he's quoting Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. It's actually kind of a lengthy quotation. But it is packed full that in the Old Testament, even in the Old Testament, 600 years before Hebrews was written and before Jesus came, God already was playing his cards. He was saying, I've got this in mind. Now notice it's about a new covenant. The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they did not remain faithful to my covenant and I turned away from them, declares the Lord. If you're following along, here's what I hope you'll see is that God's new covenant, the first thing you need to see is that God binds himself with I wills. I wills. In other words, by that, what I mean by I wills is that you're going to notice in this new covenant he talks about in Jeremiah 31 that the writer of Hebrews is now quoting again and again is this phrase. Here's what I will do in this relationship with you. Here's what I will do. I will do this. I will do this. I will make this covenant with you. Notice that means God takes the initiative to move towards us. Even though we had failed him, God in his new covenant says, I am not done pursuing you. I will do this. I will make a new covenant, and I'm going to move towards you. Now, what is a covenant? This week, I uh, was reading this, and I found this helpful, and several people have said this was helpful as well. When you were born again, if you were, did you enter into a contract or a covenant with the Lord? Do you know the difference? If you don't, you should, because it will determine your perspective of God and his relationship with you, like if it's a have to or a want to. A contract says, if you keep your part of the agreement, I will keep my part of the agreement. However, if you fail to keep your word, I am released and no longer obligated to keep mine. If you don't, I won't. It's a conditional deal. A covenant says, I will keep my word, and do what I said, whether you do or not. It is unconditional. And the most solemn covenant of all is the one that has been established through the shedding of Jesus' blood. Virtually all the religions of this world equate God's blessing and acceptance with self-righteousness. They treat their relationship with God like a contract. The problem is that no believer can ever live up to the contractual agreement and therefore can never receive the blessing. Biblical Christianity, on the other hand, is a true blood covenant made by God through the sacrifice of Jesus. Religion is like a contract. 
It says, do this and I will accept you, God says. Christianity says, on the basis of what my son did, at the cost of my son's own blood, I will accept you. Now live this way. Completely different motivation. Completely different kind of relating to God. And that's what he wants us to see. But Tim Keller says a little bit more about covenant that I think you'll find helpful. And again, let me read it. It's a little bit more lengthy, but I want to share it with you. Here's what it says. If two people start a relationship and they both start off like this by saying to each other, I will be what I should be to you in this relationship if and to the degree you are what you should be. If that's how the relationship starts, you will find that relationship very quickly becoming cold, becoming distant, becoming at best a kind of shaky business relationship. There will be no intimacy, oh my goodness, no intimacy at all, he says. Do you know why? Because neither person wants to give up their independence. There's no intimacy without giving up autonomy. There's no intimacy without binding yourself and limiting yourself. If two people instead start a relationship like this and they say to each other, I will be what I should be in this relationship, whether you are what you should be or not. I will be what I should be, even if you're failing to be what you should be. I'm going to put your needs ahead of my needs. I'm going to limit myself. I'm going to bind myself. I'm going to be caring and kind to you whether I feel like it or not. The great paradox is in a relationship where people are committed despite their feelings, that is the place where intimate feelings can grow. Do you know why? It's safe. The more committed a relationship is, the more intimate it will get. Because the more I see somebody saying to me, I'm going to be what I should be to you, even if you're not, I can be weak. I can share. I can open up. Only and to the degree you're willing to give up your independence can you show the freedom of an intimate relationship. That's the paradox. Now, some people would say, wait a second. Well, then how could God possibly have a covenant relationship with us? Because he's never limited himself. He's never done anything like that, has he? Well, I love what Tim Keller goes on to say. He says, I was talking not too long ago to a woman who said, what I hate about all this is it seems like everybody says, you need to submit to God's will. I have to adjust to God. Why do I always have to adjust to God, she said. Why can't he ever adjust to me? And any Christian that heard her say that probably said to her, how terrible. What do you mean? God never adjusts to us. We adjust to him. Now, what I'm about to read, you may find yourself pushing back. Tim Keller says, that's not true. God did adjust to us cosmically, infinitely on the cross. He adjusted to our sinfulness. He said, I'm going to be faithful to you even if you're not faithful to me. You know what that cost him? On the cross, the father turned his face away from his son. On the cross, Jesus Christ was forsaken. That's what the covenant curse of verse 9 was talking about that we just read. Jesus did keep the covenant. He was perfectly obedient, but God turned his face. Why? He got the covenant curse so we could get the covenant blessing unconditionally and eternally. When you realize what Jesus did for you, when you realize Jesus took his own covenant curse, as it were, so he could say, even when you sin, I will remember your sins no more. Then Jesus bound himself. He nailed himself to you. Oh my goodness. 
and this new covenant, God is saying, I will bind myself to you. I will enter into a relationship where I want you to know I am so fully committed to you that even when you don't live the way you said you would, I will still be committed to you. You cannot break this covenant because my son already kept it on your behalf. This is an amazing thing. So what are these I wills? What will he do if we enter into this covenant that he offers to us? The first thing I want you to notice is found in verse 10. This is the covenant I will establish with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord. And by the way, that time is now. I will put my laws in their minds and write them on their hearts. If you're following along, in God's new covenant, he puts his laws inside us, in our minds and on our hearts. He puts his laws inside us, on our minds, in our minds and on our hearts. Now, this is interesting. If you take a look, I don't know if anybody's ever explained this to you, but the Bible is separated into two sections. The Old Testament and the New Testament. Another word for testament is will or covenant. That means that the Old Testament is primarily all about what God did in his relationship with Israel. And therefore, in the Old Testament, we see how he related to Abraham and Abraham's descendants called the Israelites, and we see that that covenant went. And what the writer of Hebrews is saying is, look back at how that went. There were all kinds of things that didn't turn out like, you know, God hoped it would to the people. Therefore, in the Old Testament, he was already prophesying ahead that there would be a new covenant that would be better. And therefore, in the New Testament, we now live. You know what divides these two testaments? Jesus coming. Jesus coming now opens and offers this New Testament, this new covenant era. And because of that, you and I live on this side of the New Testament. Aren't you glad? And so what he says here is that I will make this covenant with Israel. Now, let me stop and say something. I know some of you that may be a hang-up because you go away and say, I'm not Israel. Me neither. But here's what you need to know. Way back in Genesis 12, he said to Abraham, the father of the Israelite nation, I will bless you. I will bless all nations through you, and I will bless through your descendants, the ultimate descendant being Jesus. I will make you a great people. So what's going on is, is that even when Jesus came, he said, look, first to Israel and then also to Gentiles. Even in the Old Testament, the people of Israel were meant to be a light to the nation. They didn't follow through with God on that, but even then, God wanted to be larger than just Israel. So look at John 10. Look at what it says here. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Another word for the covenant, the new covenant sometimes, is the word gospel. The gospel means the good news of God. Now look at what Romans 1 says about this. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to who, friends? Everyone who believes. First to the Jew, first to the Israelite, then to the Gentile. For the gospel is the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith, by trust, by dependence upon God, not trusting in themselves. And so this is the idea. So notice Instead of being on the outside, you know, where, where were the laws written? 
in the Old Covenant on stone, right? And those were external. And some of you have said before that you think that a lot of times when you think of God's laws, you think of them as oppressive and guilty and just, you know, outside pressure. But what he wants us to know is he says, I'm going to do something on the inside of you in the New Covenant. How's he going to do that? By his Holy Spirit. Look at Ezekiel 36 here. This is also another Old Testament prophecy. He says, in those days, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my, what, friends? Spirit, my Holy Spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. How do we know when the Holy Spirit's working? Across the thought process of our mind, in our hearts, we'll find ourselves saying, God, I now want to do what you want me to do. I didn't used to do that. And there's not that there won't still be conflicts at times. But overall, God will have a, give us a different way of thinking and a different way of wanting. And man, that's an incredible gift right there. I could spend a long time. Let me go on. The rest of verse 10 says this. I will be their God, and they will be my people. So the second thing in God's new covenant is that he makes us his people part of a new family. He makes us his people part of a new family. I don't want to spend a long time on this, but I want to say this. In the new covenant... God never was saying is, you will be my persons. He was saying, you'll be my people. It's not that I don't care about you individually and personally, but you need to know that my plan was always to make you part of something larger than just yourself. Therefore, from time to time, the honest struggle that people are having today is, I don't need the church. I don't need other Christians. And friends, after going through some challenging experience with the people, I understand how that works. But here's the thing, I need his people. And one of the ways that I get to know the Lord is through his people, even the most challenging relationships. And it's an amazing thing to realize. I mean, I don't know about you, but just to realize the, just the collection of us that are part of his people that don't deserve to be, isn't it incredible? I will, I mean, I, sometimes when I'm singing down front here, I can't believe I get to be part of this. I'm blown away. Unbelievable, the new covenant. Third thing is that from the least to the greatest, we can know him personally. Look at what verse 11 says. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, hey, know the Lord, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest. So from the least to the greatest, we can know him personally. In the new covenant, this is, this is different. See, in the old covenant, the people that got to know the Lord primarily were the priests or the special people, the religious people. And then there was a few people that the Holy Spirit would come on in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, he says, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, even servants, not just great and important people, not just priests and extra credit Christian people. I'm going to pour myself from the least to the greatest. This is really important for us to hear in the United States. We that place so much value on what greatness looks like, Jesus says, I'm going to bypass all that. From the least to the greatest, whoever is hungry and humble before me and wants to enter into this covenant, they can know me too. And that means that you can know him, not just me, not just some missionary, not just, you can know him personally according to this new covenant. Now we're going to come back to that because that's the bulk of the rest of the message. And then fourth, look at what verse 12 says. For I will forgive their wickedness, here's an incredible line, and will remember their sins no more. God's new covenant, number four, remembers our sins no more, forgiving completely. 
As I said before, in the old covenant, it could only cover sin. It couldn't remove it. It couldn't be completely forgiven. It was covered over. But in the new covenant, he says, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to work so drastically through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. He is going to take such unbelievable power over sin that on the cross, he is going to take all of sin, your sin and mine, on his shoulders, and he's going to pay for it. Therefore, because of what he's done, I can remember your sins no more. People say, like, is, I thought God knew everything. I thought God, you know, he never forget. Here's what this means. To remember no more means to not hold against anymore. It doesn't mean that he can't recall it, but when he recalls it, he does not hold it against us. Isn't that incredible? And so many of us are sitting here, we're saying, well, wait a second, what a bad deal. He may forget, but I remember, and I'm plagued by it every time I remember. You ever felt like that? I do, I, have to, I go through these challenges. A number of years ago, when our church was much smaller, we were at the old building, and there was a couple, tremendous couple, but they, they, again, went through a period where they weren't walking with the Lord like they later did. And uh, she got pregnant out of wedlock, and they were two adults, and they wondered, were we going to accept them? Were we going to accept their child? And I'll tell you what, our church family just blew me away, the grace they extended this family. And so they became part of our church in a really neat way. Their daughter grew up. She follows Jesus now. just an incredible thing. And so one Sunday night, we had open mic because it was smaller then. And I'll never forget what Sue said. She said, I've often wondered, why does God allow us to remember the bad things we've done in the past? Because she said, man, you, you guys know some of my story. I have regrets and stuff. She said, lately, what he showed me is this. I'm allowing you to remember so that you'll never, ever forget how much you need me. And every time you remember, it throws yourself, you throw yourself back on me in trust, and I reassure you again that I love you, and nothing can keep our covenant from being broken. Oh man, friends, that's a good word right there. And there's a priest in the Philippines, it's a true story a number of years ago, that he was very loved by the people there, and he was really a person that helped a lot of people come to know Christ. But he was afflicted in the sense that he had committed a sin in seminary that no one else knew about. He had a person, even though he had repented of it, even though he changed his mind about it and, and was remorseful before God, he couldn't get a sense of forgiveness. So he heard that there was a woman in his parish that had, um, had this ability to just know the Lord deeply. And sometimes in dreams and visions and conversations, she would have the Lord. The Lord would show her things. Well, he was skeptical about all this, so he decided to test her. He says, uh, you, you, you said you have these like, interactions with Jesus, right? She said, yes, very humbly. He says, okay, I'm going to test you. Next time you have one of those, I want you to ask him what your priest the secret sin he committed in seminary. She says, okay. So a few days later, they were together, and he said, uh, hey, did you have one of those encounters with Jesus? She said, I did. She said, did you remember to ask him, you know, what sin your priest committed in seminary? She said, I did. He said, well, then what did he say? She said, he said, I don't remember. I don't remember. Some of us need to live in the new covenant and know that the Lord no longer holds against us that which we've entrusted to Jesus. And he wants us to know that freedom. So because this covenant is so incredible, Jesus' ministry is superior. 
And so let me just bring this home. First, notice that what the writer of Hebrews says in verse 13. By calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. So if you're following along, the old covenant was inferior and has been replaced. The old covenant was inferior and has been replaced. Why was it inferior? Because it allowed limited access, limited pardon. There was a distance between God and us. There was this external rather than internal reality in relating to God. But here's Jesus' superior ministry if you're following along. Living on this side of the cross, we can know the Lord. We can know the Lord. I don't mean know about him. I don't mean have all kinds of head knowledge about him. I'm talking about knowing him personally. I'm talking about knowing him deeply. I'm talking about knowing him in every moment of your life. This has been opened up by the new covenant. And if you're following along, here's really what life is all about. It's knowing him now, better, and forever. It's knowing him now, better, and forever. When I was in high school, someone taught me an Old Testament verse that looked ahead to this as well. Here's what God says. Let not those who are wise boast in their wisdom. Let not those who are mighty boast of their might. Let not those who are rich boast of their riches. But let those who boast, boast of this, that they understand and know me. That I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness upon the earth, and that in these things I delight, says the Lord. Let those who boast, let those who boast, boast of this, that they're learning to know me. They're getting to know me. Jesus put it this way in John 17, 3. You look up here on the screen, look at what he says. Have it there. Powerful, isn't it? Now, this is eternal life. Let's read it together. Now, this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. When does eternal life begin? The moment you trust Jesus. Now, better, and forever. But does that mean that we know him perfectly on this side of heaven? No, look at what Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 13, 12. This is important, too, just to keep in mind. Now we see only reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see Jesus face to face. Is anybody looking forward to that? Amen. Now I know in part. Then I shall know him what, friends? Fully. fully. Even as I am fully known. Oh, my goodness. This is what life is about. And so I want to just, in the rest of the time we have, I want to show you something that I wrote on the whiteboard here. And it may be something that would be helpful for you to copy on the back of your message notes, either for your discussions later today or later this week with your life group, or just having an idea where you are. This week, as I was thinking about all this, I was thinking about the process that God often brings a person through and how God often works in someone's life, how God's worked in my own life. If uh, you're listening uh, on, you know, uh, the website, just know that I've got this, you know, continuum here. And on the far left side, I have this phrase, don't care or don't know that I don't know. What I mean is, is that there, and when I think about looking back on my life, when it came to knowing the Lord, there's just been seasons, again, as I look back, where I don't care about knowing the Lord, or I don't know that I don't know. 
Uh, Titus 1.16 says they claim to know God, but by their actions they deny him. They like, they're, they're kidding themselves. They don't really know him, but they think they do. And there may be some people here today that no one's ever talked to you about this before. You've never heard that you could know the Lord yourself. You thought that was reserved for special people, not for you. So maybe you're over here on this far left where you didn't know that you can know. Or you don't care. Maybe right now you're just jaded. You don't, you don't care about knowing the Lord. Or you don't know that you don't know. You kind of think that all your head knowledge and all your experiences is really what it means to know the Lord. I've been there. But then you may come to a point, I have this next phrase, no, I don't know the Lord. Where you come to a place where you know, I don't know the Lord. I've been around people, I can tell there are some people that do. I'm not one of them. Some of you know, I was blessed to grow up in a family, my mom and dad, pastors in church, and I know some of you have told me you're pastor's kids and you grew up with phonies, where they were fake on Sunday and a whole different deal the rest of the week. That wasn't my experience. People say, well, how did you know your parents knew the Lord? I'll, I'll say this. I could tell by their hunger and by their humility. And I could see that God was doing something. I saw it in my grandparents. And the more that I watched their lives and the more that I watched the way that they would go through every situation in life, even though they didn't get it right all the time, I could tell they knew the Lord on a personal basis. And they weren't bragging about it. They weren't high and mighty about it. They were humble about it. And it, it, it drew me. And I've told before even about the way my dad disciplined me and would come back and talk to me in a humble way about the spirit. He did that sometimes. Friends, it just, it, it made me realize I didn't know the Lord. But there comes a time when you're at that place where you got a decision to make. Do you want to know the Lord or not? And I came to the place where I realized God gave me such a hunger. I can't even take credit for that. God gave me such a hunger that by the time I was 15 years old, I remember I was reading my Bible faithfully one night because I knew it was the right thing to do. And I closed my Bible, turned off my bed light, and I had the most honest conversation with God I'd ever had up to that point in my life. And I said, Lord, I just got done reading the Bible again, and I can probably repeat most of these stories that I've heard in the Bible backwards and forwards by memory. The only problem is it's all outside me. It's, I, don't, I don't see the connection between knowing you. I don't know you. I, I don't understand what these have to do with me. I don't see any of that. So Lord, if you want me to follow you, you're going to have to reveal yourself to me. You're going to have to open up this book to me so it's more than just words on the outside of me. I turned off my light, like I said, went to sleep. I didn't have any experiences. I didn't have any wild, you know, firecrackers or anything. But a month later, I was in Wisconsin at a camp with my friend. And there, as I <clears throat> was reading the Bible each morning like we were supposed to do, again, I had no argument with that, but when I opened my Bible that week, I remember it was like God put stuff in the Bible while I was asleep. <laughs> and it wasn't just words anymore. It was like the author was saying, I want you to know me. And I want you to understand how this applies to your life. And I want to teach you in every moment of life how to do it with me. And oh man, I wish I could tell you, you know, again, it comes by kneeling at the cross and saying, Jesus, because you've opened up this new covenant, I've heard that I can know you. I put my trust in what you've done. Would you please allow me to enter into this new covenant with you by trusting in you and not myself? 
And friends, that happens. But I'd love to tell you my chart went up and to the right and I just became this like spiritual paragon of impressiveness. But the truth is, is that after we come to know the Lord, sometimes, here's the next phrase, we stop growing in knowing the Lord. We stop growing in knowing the Lord. Why? Either because we think we know enough or we get careless. Sometimes we get distracted. Sometimes we have other loves, idols that get in our way, grab our hearts and that we, we hold on to. And we stop growing and knowing the Lord. And that's certainly, I've seen that happen in my life. And if I was to be honest with you, while I was working on this message this week, the Holy Spirit seemed to say to me, Jeff, that's where you are right now. You don't seem to want to know me like you used to. You keep cruising on what you've known in the past about me, and you stop growing and knowing me. And so I obviously have some things to think about this week. But God often makes us hungry again to know him better when we go through those times. And so this last one is to keep growing and knowing the Lord. To keep growing and knowing the Lord. And some of you, Chuck already referred to this at the beginning, but look at Philippians 3. There was a guy that kept the old covenant probably better than any human being that ever walked the earth named Paul. Before that, his name had been Saul. He meets Jesus on the Damascus Road, and his whole life is changed. The ministry that Jesus had to this hardened guy wrecked him. It changed him completely. And the rest of his life, he gave his whole life to following Christ and serving whatever purpose Jesus had for him. But later in his life, look at what he says. He says, you know, as I look back, you know, there was a lot of impressive things I did for God, but whatever gains were gains to me, I now consider them lost for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage by comparison, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from obeying the law, but that which is through trusting, faith, dependence in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of trusting in him. Let's read this together. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. Translated, I want to know him better, and I want to know him forever. Now, some of you go, that's going to get boring, isn't it? I had a friend that once said this. Getting to know Jesus is so massive, it's so incredible, that when we get to heaven, it's going to be like this. Wow! 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 Forever. <laughs> Knowing Jesus. And here's what I want to say. Knowing Jesus is the most important thing in life. Amen. It is the greatest privilege and gift in my life. If I was never even a pastor, it would be the most important thing God could ever give to us at the expense of his son. But I sometimes treat that relationship poorly. I take it for granted. I do not invest in that relationship. I give part of myself. I don't give all of myself to knowing him. But I'll tell you what, God is so gracious. He is a covenant-keeping God. That even in those times, by his spirit, he brings me back again and again and again, and the only reason I'm standing in front of you today 
is because of him. So I just want to go on record and say this. I don't want to do any more church services if we're not going to be about this. I don't want to help people be more religious. I want to help people know Christ. And I want to know Christ. And one of the things that blesses me about gathering together is that many of you, by your hunger and your humility to know Christ, you have no idea how much you help me. So where are you? Are you living on the left side or the right side of the cross? Are you living in the new covenant? Because if you're not, you're living beneath your privilege. Jesus wants to minister that to you. That's why he came. But the world screams to us and says, no, no, no. What we have for you is superior. It's not true. So here's the question. Have I entered this covenant? By entrusting my life to him. Have I entered this covenant? Not because of my impressiveness, but by simply saying, God, I don't trust in my own efforts, my own righteousness anymore. I trust in what you've done for me, and now I give myself to you. I, I entrust my whole life to you. And I know that it'll be messy, but I want to learn how to do everything with you. See, religion says what we do for him. Christianity says what we do with him. And it's as we do everything with him, no matter if it's hard, easy, we know it all, or we don't know it all, he can teach us in everything. This is the new covenant. Does anybody else at lunchtime want to thank God that you can live in the new covenant? Amen. Praise his name. Amen. So as we close, we just want to take a few moments. What is God saying you, to you today? I know you may have come in not even thinking about this stuff, or maybe you've been thinking about other things. But as the music plays, would you just let him talk to you? Would you let him show you where you are and where he can take you? Take some time.